Maybe you heard this story before, but there was a duck hunter. You know what a duck hunter is? All right, somebody, I know this is Yardley. They're like, what's a duck? <laughs> I, you don't shoot the ones in the pond, please. But a duck hunter is one that goes out and hunts ducks. Well, he was looking for a new bird dog. A bird dog does what? It goes out and gets the birds after you shoot them. Goes in the water and gets the birds. Well, he found one that walks on the water. Now, this is amazing. So he'll shoot a duck. The, duck will, the, the dog will walk out on the water without getting wet, without falling in, retrieve the duck and come back. He said, this is amazing, but no one's going to believe me. So I've got to get my most pessimistic friend with me to take me duck hunting. So he gets his friend who's pessimistic and says, hey, you want to go with me, duck? Sure, I'll go with you. So all day, the dog goes out, gets the birds, comes back, gets the birds, come back. His friend says absolutely nothing. So what do they do? They get back in the truck at the end of the day. The hunter says to his friends, did you notice anything unusual about my dog? And he said, yes, your dog can't swim. <laughs> now, that was unexpected, wasn't it? Dave's probably heard this joke before. <laughs> I hang out with some of these guys. I've heard that before. That was unexpected. You think the guy would say something about the dog. And today what I want to uh, talk about is living the unexpected life. Maybe you're here and your life has been perfect, exactly the way you planned it. Anybody want to raise their hand for that? Liars. <laughs> this morning I want to talk about this. We all have life uh, hit us sometimes. We all have hopes and dreams, and sometimes those unexpected things are good. Maybe a child comes along that was unexpected, and you're like, at the end, you're like, this is good. Maybe you had a job promotion, or you got some money in the mail that was unexpected. But mostly in life, sometimes things that are financial difficulties that were unexpected. Perhaps you're here today, and you've gone through a divorce or relationships that were bad. Perhaps a death in the family that was unexpected. Job transitions, we've all had those if you've lived long enough. Perhaps moving, maybe some of you are here today with aging parents. It's a transition you haven't thought about or very unexpected. Or maybe new friends, maybe it's your health. I'm just talking to someone about their health before we came in. Maybe that was not planned in your schedule. But some things are unexpected, and what we're going to want to talk about today is two stories from the Bible that were unexpected, and then a personal story from my own life that was unexpected. So the first one, if you have your Bibles, if it's a hardback or electronically, love to see that. Turn to John chapter, or Luke, Luke 10. Look at my own notes there. Luke 10, let me set up the story. If you grew up in the church, they're passing out Bibles, it's um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, in the, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, written by Luke, 25 to 37. But let me uh, set up the story. This is the first story. That, and if you grew up in the church, you're probably familiar with this story. You're probably like, I know this story, Cam, the Good Samaritan. So here's a Good Samaritan story. If you're in Luke, we're not going to read it, but I'm just going to tell it. The setup is this. Uh, Jesus is asked a question by a lawyer. Anybody a lawyer here? My daughter-in-law is a lawyer. And she has lots of questions, and she gets paid to ask questions. This guy's uh, not a lawyer, a typical lawyer like we'd have here in Bucks County, but he's, a, he's, a, he's an expert in the law. So we asked Jesus in, in uh, chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So he wasn't there to just have a friendly conversation. He said, teacher, a rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love Jesus. He's unexpected in how he answers. He never answers, does he? He always gives a question. To the question. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus quotes in Matthew 22 is when the Pharisees asked him, what's the greatest of all the laws? He says, love God, love people. So he answered correctly. It's from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He's answering the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. So he answers correctly. And Jesus says this in 28. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that's the setup for the story. So the neighbor is this. This is the story. There's a man that goes along the road to Jericho, and he gets attacked. You know the story. He gets beat up mercilessly. Uh, this is not a great road. A friend of mine was just in Israel. I've been to Israel. We're going to go to Israel in, in about a year if you want to go on a trip with us. So the road to Jericho is, is still, <laughs> it's funny, it's still an old road. You know, it's not apartment buildings around it now. It's not Walmart or anything. It's still an old road, and it's a treacherous road. So this Jewish man is going. It, uh, he gets beat up by robbers. The robbers take everything they can from him, almost leave him for dead, this, the story says. And you know the story? The guy's laying there. Can you imagine just laying there in the dust and the dirt? And the priest goes by, and the priest should be the guy who does what? Helps him out, right? These are religious leaders. I'll tell you, sometimes the religious leaders are the worst, aren't they? <laughs> Shouldn't say that today in our culture, but some of them are. This guy is supposed to go down. He just walks around him. A couple of things is the law says you're not supposed to touch dead bodies. So maybe the priest thought he's dead, but at least he could have gone over and sniffed or done something. Right? Is this guy dead? He just walks away. And a lot of us do that, right? A lot of us just walk past the situation. Like, I don't want to talk to this guy. Oh, even if someone, in the, you ever see someone in a restaurant and you're like, oh, I don't, I mean, I got to walk away. I don't want to talk to that person. So he just walks away. The second one is Levi, right? Another religious leader. It says in verse 12, so he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. And this is what's great here in verse 33. But what? You can talk back. You guys talk back here? A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him, and he took pity on him. Now let's just go back a little bit. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. Did not get along at all. And it's interesting that Jesus makes his way through the Samaritans, right? The gospel is for the Jew only. At least that's what the Jews were saying. And even those who trusted the Messiah said this is really just for us, not for the Gentiles, certainly not for the Samaritans. The Samaritans, listen to this. Historian Josephus and Jewish tradition traced the origin of the Samaritans back to the captivity of the northern kingdom. The Jews of the northern kingdom intermarried with the Assyrians after their captivity and produced half-Jewish, half-Gentile Samaritan race. So the Jews, this is a half-breed, people that are not pure in their, in their ethnic background. And when the Jews accused Jesus of being a Samaritan in John 8, they were rudely suggesting that he was half-breed born of an unfaithful mother. There's other words for that, right? That's what they were accusing. So if they accused you of being a Samaritan, it was not a good thing. We have our own racial type of things, don't we? We say things to people that we shouldn't say. You think that we'd be on that in the 21st century, but we're not. We need to recognize even back then there was people that despised people from a different background. Then, in the New Testament times, the Jews despised the Samaritans, had nothing to do with them because their, their place to worship was in Jerusalem, was Mount Gerizim. They also kept their own villages. They also had different uh, interpretations of the law. So not only were they ethnically not pure, but they also didn't follow the customs of the Jews. So in Scripture, 
but a Samaritan came along and had pity on him. <laughs> not his fellow Jews, not the religious leaders, but the Samaritan. Let's look at the, uh, at the lesson we can learn. Unexpected help, second slide, yeah. Unexpected help is one lesson is to get off your donkey. This is a book by Reggie McNeil, I don't know if you can read that, but I love what he says here. He says, get off your donkey. Now, there's other words for that, too. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're thinking, but get off your donkey. I, I, I'm getting the book. I haven't read it yet, but I love the title, and I didn't want to steal it without giving him credit. Get off your donkey. Get out of the office. Get out of the church. I know I'm a former pastor, and I love pastors. I love the church, but get out of the church. Go do something for somebody. Unexpected help. The person least least likely to help this Jewish man was a Samaritan. Now let's put this in context. So get off your donkey, get out of the office, leave the church, but who's your person on the side of the road? Now, I'm sure a lot of you don't see people on the side of the road. I do in Philadelphia. I see a lot of people. Michael is there with me and some of the others have come down with me and you see people by the road. But who's, who's your person by the road? Someone that's not easy to love. It's easy to love people that are in our circle, right? Our Christian circle. They all believe like us. Uh, Dan was down in the Dominican Republic with us. There's people uh, even in different countries, and it mostly sometimes it's people on our team. Our team was wonderful in the Dominican Republic. But you come across people that need your help, unexpected help. My neighbor is Ron. Ron was in a motorcycle accident and uh, broke his leg and ribs all that kind of stuff, and I really do like Ron. He's a good guy. He's going through a divorce, and so I thought, what can I do for my neighbor? Uh, his lawn was long, long, and my lawn is long, and I actually cut my lawn. You believe that? <laughs> I like cut my lawn because there's no one to bug you, and just put your headphones on, listen to podcasts or music. So one day, I just kept cutting the lawn. I went over further. I just cut Ron's lawn, and he really appreciated that, and I said, no, no problem, man. You got a broken leg. What are you going to do? And so I kind of went out of my way to help him a little bit. Uh, and that was easy, because Ron's a good neighbor. He's in need. I got a big lawnmower. I just keep cutting the lawn. It's kind of fun. But then down in Kensington, uh, we work in Kensington section of Philadelphia. If you haven't been there, um, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. A little bit. But there is a homeless man, a lot of homeless guys. We, we do a food distribution on Thursday. Uh, and again, like I said, Michael's been there. It's mostly people in the neighborhood. They have to register. So they're just people that are in economic need. But once in a while, there'll be homeless uh, individuals that come along because, uh, and we give different bags to them. We, we realized one time we, give them, uh, we get free food from Target, which is absolutely fantastic, um, and from Walmart. And sometimes, you know, we, you give them ribs or you give them some kind of ice cream. We get ice cream, we get all kinds of good stuff, and the guys would throw it away going, I can't, I can't cook this stuff, I can't keep this stuff. So we've learned to give little bags away with necessary stuff in it. So the one uh, day, that I'm, I'm always the guy getting the blue bags. I don't know, I don't know why. Uh, this guy, nobody, somebody's like, Cam, can you talk to this guy? So he's a little disheveled. I don't have a picture of him. Try not to take pictures of everybody that's uh, in need. But he comes along and he said, man, you know, he's, he's dirty. He smells. He's actually bleeding a little bit. And he says, man, I, I just want to call my parents. They don't know where I am. I said, dude, you don't have a phone, do you? He goes, no, I don't have a phone. I said, well, let me get my phone. So I pull up my phone and said, uh, let's call your parents. And uh, I said, what's their number? I don't remember. 
I said, okay, I'm trying to help. <laughs> I don't remember. I said, let's pray for your parents and let's, they'll get a hold of you. And so we did that. And then his shoes were untied and, uh, you know. And I said, let me tie your shoes. So I tie his shoes and, again, just sent him on the way. Couldn't help him any much more than that. But it was funny because one of our kids said, hey, you tied his shoe. That was so cool. I didn't even want to talk to this guy. And I said, you know what? Uh, I just get used to that kind of stuff. And, and it's not to glorify me, but to say, hey, there's people in need. It may not be a homeless guy. It may be one of your relatives. It may be someone in this church that just needs your help, unexpected help. Let's do that for each other. Next slide. If the road is easy, you're likely, you're likely going the wrong way. And I just love this quote from an author. Life is not always easy. People aren't always the best they can be. Yeah, even when we're not the best we can do, but we can do something challenging in our life. Uh, maybe helping right here at church. Maybe, you know, you're like, oh, I don't know if I ever go to Kensington with you, Cam, or Philadelphia or the Dominican Republic, but listen, they need help in the nursery. Uh, they need security. They need AV people. They need people teaching kids classes. They need people in BBS. They need you in small groups. You're like, whoa, unexpected help. If you showed up and said something to Janet Miller, the children's director, she'd be thrilled. That'd be unexpected help if you're qualified. <laughs> so sometimes it's not going too far to find some place that you can help people, be the unexpected help. Second story, you've probably heard this one too, but in John chapter 4, turn to John chapter 4, take a little bit more time with the Samaritan woman. I'm picking these stories because they're really, Jesus is outside the norm is, but what is outside your norm? The uncomfortable places that you would be. Okay, Yardley, I live in Newtown. We live in Bucks County. I say it to guys all the time. We live in Disney World, right? We live in Disney World. And some of us have Fast Pass. They still have that? <laughs> so we live in a culture and a place that's surrounded by good things. Yet, I know for a fact, that we can also have, uh, we have, I say this all the time, we have really nice lawns, right? But we have the same sins that anybody else has. We have nice lawns, but we still have the same sins anybody else has. Second story, John chapter 4. Let me tell you, again, Samaritan woman. So he talks to another person, and this is another Samaritan, John chapter 4. And, and it's the whole chapter. And uh, verse 4 of chapter 4. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired, which is pretty cool to understand, he's in his humanity, he's tired from his journey, sat down by the well, it was about the sixth hour or 12 o'clock. Now he sent his disciples out to get some food, right? They went to Wawa probably, they went somewhere to get some food, and the, he's waiting for them. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And this is the story, right? She's, she's like, first of all, Jesus is talking. She knows he's Jewish. He probably looks Jewish in a sense, also probably a prayer shawl. He's Jewish. She is not. She says that Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you a living water. And she, she's not getting it. You ever talk to someone or maybe they're talking to you and you're like, I'm not getting the story here. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with the deep well. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now, 
This is Jacob's well, a pretty significant historical well that Jesus is at, who gave us the well and drank from himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herd. And Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water would never be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in him a spring of living water welling up in eternal life. And she's like, still don't get it. Sir, if you give me the water, I'll never thirst again. Give it to me all. And he says, go call your husband. Wait a minute, I don't know this guy. He knows all about me, what's happening. He says, you're right, you have no husband. You have five. All right, the fact is you have five husbands and the man you have is not your neighbor, is not your husband. What, uh, what you've just said is quite true. And then she says, I can see that you're a prophet. And Jesus jumps down to 20, 21, believe, uh, woman, and time is coming when you and the wor- you will worship neither the mountain or in Jerusalem. So remember they worried about where to worship? He says, don't worry about it. I'm here now. A time will come that you will worship me. And she's excited in verse 25. The woman says, I know that you're the Messiah, the anointed one. And you think about this. They've been looking for the Christ, which is just another word for the Messiah, the anointed one, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything uh, to you. And she says, I, he, Jesus says, I am uh, I who speak to you am he. So he's saying he is the Messiah. She is wowed. She runs back, leaves her jars there, runs back, tells everybody about what's going on. And listen to this at the end of the story. Many, in verse 30, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because the woman's what? Testimony, her story. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay two more days. He hung out for two more days. And at the end, it said this, uh, verse 42, we no longer believe just because what you said, the woman, but we've heard it for ourselves. So now we know this man is really the savior of the world. And at the end of the thing, many believed in Jesus Christ. Many believed in Jesus Christ, in verse 41. And became, because of his word, many became believers. What's the lesson? Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman, unexpected conversation. The lesson is use your story. Use your story. Some of us have amazing stories, and some of us are like, oh, I wish I was the drug dealer Cam talked about, and at age seven I trusted Christ, right? No, a lot of us uh, have amazing stories. Some of us were saved out of a lot of that stuff. Some of us were saved from it. My story is age seven, I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I was saved uh, 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 from that stuff. I, I wasn't saved out of that, okay? And so here's this woman who has a, a lifestyle that's uncomfortable to a lot of Jews and Samaritans. And yet because of her story about the Messiah, she goes back to tell her people about what happened to her and the Messiah, and many believe. Here's a quote from Francis Chan. But God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we're unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we, where we will not, we'll be in trouble if he doesn't show up. If he doesn't show up. What's your story? Have you been sharing your story? Uh, there's some great stories even here of how God has helped people in their lives. Share those stories. Tell it because people can come to know Jesus Christ. I had a student I taught at Plumstead Christian School for a while. I was a Bible teacher. And in an unexpected conversation, someone called me, one of my former students, to kind of pay attention. Is he here today? Because he goes to this church. He'll become a second service. His name's, name's Tommy. Tommy calls me and says, hey, Dr. Garvin, uh, remember me? I said, sure, Tommy, I remember you. He said, I've seen things on Facebook and other stuff that you're doing. I want to come down and help you. I said, Tommy, that would be fantastic. Come on down and help me. He's 24 years old, goes to this church. 
he's doing some things in his career, and he said, I think I may want to do this full time. I said, well, spend a week with me. So one night at 10.30 at Kensington, after we're done doing a lot of stuff, he goes, this is a long week. <laughs> but I have been praying, I have been praying for someone someday and younger guys to come alongside me. I really love working. I've worked with Karen students. I've worked with Princeton students. I was a youth pastor here. I love the young adult age group because I think it's a, it's a, a great group to be thinking through what they're doing in the future. Trouble is they all stay 20 or so, and I don't. And so I love hanging around them. I just got to keep up with them. But that was a, that was a conversation uh, that I had with Tom and said, I would love for you to come on, Tommy, to do that with me. Some of us have conversations that we need to have with our friends, conversations even with our family. I was up in Niagara Falls visiting. I'm from Niagara Falls, New York, and I uh, haven't been back for a while. So I went up to visit my brother and his wife, and we had an uncomfortable conversation because we went to church. I said, we like to go to church. They don't go to church. And he said, sure, we'll go to church. And so he, pick, he picked out the church. We went to the church. We came out. I thought it was fantastic. They preached the word. It was great worship. I said, John, what did you think of the church? I hated it. Da, 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 da. He ranted for a while in the car. And I was so stinking mad because I'm like, oh, man, I've been praying for you guys to get, get to a church and know Christ a little bit better. And uh, so he said all that. I said, you know what? Stop. He said, I liked it. I thought it was great. You need to learn to be with Jesus. You need to uh, deal with Jesus more than the church people. He goes, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but it was an uncomfortable conversation with your relatives. There's a lady that uses her story. Her name is Heather, Miss Heather down in Kensington. She does all the food for us. She's been married. I don't even think she's been married. She's kind of like the Samaritan woman. She had many husbands and she has many kids. Then she trusted Jesus Christ. And the redemption story with her is that she's turned her life around. She now leads the food ministry at Cornerstone Church uh, with Joe, Darrell, and us. And um, her daughter is going to a One Life uh, Gap Year program that we're helping sponsor her to do that because she graduated from high school. You think, well, we all do. Nope. 78% uh, of the kids in Kensington graduate from high school. I live in Council Rock area. 97% go off into college. So we're helping her. She tells her story to every group that comes down that she had these husbands and what happened through all that, and then she trusted Jesus Christ, and now her daughters go into a one-year Bible program. Another way, another story real quick is my wife Mary, she's not here, but she'll, she'll be here uh, second service, like Austin said, she doesn't want to hear me twice. Um, she says, is that okay? I said, that's cool. Come at halftime. So uh, she'll come at halftime. But this, this summer, uh, she did a women's Bible study, and she was doing her Bible study, and then she said, I'll come to, uh, she's a teacher at Goodnow Elementary School in Council Rock, so she can't come every Thursday with me. So she comes down every Thursday, 8.30 in the morning, we go down and do the food distribution, and Mary's there, and she is not comfortable as much as I am in the city, but she, at the end of the summer, she says, I'm very comfortable, I'm very good, I'm very glad I did that with you, Cam. And so she was with me, and one day, um, People, are, we're lining up, there's about 120 people or more that get food, and she was talking to a gentleman named Dante who was waiting for work. Uh, he was in his vest, he was waiting for his employer to, and now you're like, this is a real story. Mary's like, are you really going to work? I'm going to work. So she's talking to him, she tells a little bit of her story, then she says, Cam, this is Dante, and I'm trying to run things. I'm like, cool, Dante, nice to meet you, so glad you're here. What I do is pass him off to the pastor, right? My pastor, the new pastor, Israel, his name's Pastor Israel. Pastor Israel talks to him, and later Israel says, thank you so much for introducing me to Dante. He trusted Jesus Christ today. I'm like, what? Man, I thought, I, you know, you, 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 why didn't I get the chance to do that, right? 
But what happened was Mary and I debriefed later and said, Mary, did you tell you? I did tell you a story. Did you tell him the gospel? She said, no. She said, did you tell him the gospel? I said, to be honest, I just passed him off to the pastor. I said, I didn't really have time. I passed him off to the pastor. That's where he trusted Jesus Christ. But it started with Mary saying, hi, what's your name? <laughs> and I know some introverts here are like, hi, that's a big step. But just to say, hi, I'm Cam, what's your name? And then stop and let them talk about themselves. Don't jump on them, just let them talk about themselves. And Dante trusted Christ that day. And you may be saying in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has brought it to grow. So sometimes you just plant a seed with your neighbors, your friends. Sometimes the conversation, unexpected conversation, is just an unexpected conversation. And you talk to somebody, you don't know where it's going. You may not get the whole gospel out, but you were nice. And today, that's, that's a big step. Colossians 4 5 and 6 says this, Be wise in the way you, make, you, you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, listen to this, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Please do this. Don't be a rude, obnoxious Christian. The world already thinks we are. <laughs> right? They already think we're rude and obnoxious and we're narrow-minded. So do something unexpected. Be nice. Have a conversation with someone like Jesus did. That conversation with a woman, you don't know her story until you ask for their story. And I've been doing this, I think, better the years go on. I ask people their story. Then I know, are they Christians, non-Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, where they're coming from, what's happening. And then I say, can I share my story with you? And they're like, well, sure, because what? You listen to me. Very simple thing. <laughs> Jesus asked her story. He already knew his story, right? He already knew. So here's some things we, um, to learn from this one is uh, unexpected help. Do something for somebody. Say yes to opportunities. At church, productive life, love to see you, mission opportunities, opportunities outside in your neighborhood, and say yes to opportunities. Number two, unexpected conversation. Share your story. Ask people about them. And now I want to share uh, something more uh, personal, unexpected journey, unexpected journey that we've had. So the last few years, I was a pastor here that I've done a lot of stuff in between. Uh, but the last few years, I was at Princeton University, which was qu quite a privilege. Uh, I worked with students that are a lot smarter than me. Uh, the 6% uh, get in, that, that apply, 6% get into Princeton. Now, some of you might have gone to Princeton. That's cool. I did not. <laughs> I was a chaplain there. I was a, a campus pastor with a with a ministry, and, and it's interesting, uh, the unexpected journey that I've had from there. Uh, I love Princeton. I think I would have been there uh, until I retired. Uh, but I want to compare uh, Princeton and Philadelphia, both historic towns, both about the same distance from my home in Newtown. Both are influential in our, in our nation, right? Both have people who need Jesus Christ. Princeton is a place of academia and ideas, right? When you go there, I'm talking to students. They're always talking up here about different ideas. Philly is a place where some of the ideas were applied in democracy and some of our things we did in, the, in our uh, nation. Again, I was happy at Princeton coaching, uh, mentoring students, uh, but God had other plans. Uh, God had other plans. I know a lot of you wouldn't be afraid to go to Princeton, but I guarantee you some of you would be afraid to go to Philadelphia and Kensington. Now, I know it's not the first place you go on a date, right? Uh, we have this new ministry center that we're fixing up, and uh, we're thinking of making an Airbnb, and people can come to Kensington. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's see, Shore, Kensington. I don't know about that. 
but we're, we're building this place so groups can come and, and reach into the neighborhood. Uh, and learning, uh, learning to react to this unexpected thing, what happened is leadership changed, and then a thing called COVID just wrecked uh, some of our leadership and some of the funding and some of the things happened and some other things I can talk to you about. But how do you react to the unexpected? Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% of life is how you react. And so I could have gone, God, you got me here at Princeton. I thought, this is, this, is, ah, this is it. You know, I'm at Princeton. This is a wonderful institution. I'm praying with kids. We're doing Bible studies. Unbelieving kids would come. It was just fantastic. And uh, how I reacted was, what's going on? <laughs> what's happening? Some of my students, I'll get pictures of some of my students here. Uh, some were economic majors, some finance, some microbiology. One was a philosophy major, and I said, you going to work at Walmart? What? what? Okay. Uh, sociology, uh, then uh, political science. These are guys, and there's Einstein. He showed up at lunch one day, uh, which was cool. So there's the kind of students I hung around. Another picture of Princeton. Uh, there's me walking around. Um, uh, we need to go where God has brought us. And what he brought me to is always, always when I had, when I was here with Joe Darrow as one of your missionaries, we went to Kensington with our youth group. When I was at Karen, I took my classes to Kensington. When I was at Princeton, I took these guys to Kensington. It was always, to me, go back and it was always a place to say, hey, let's go serve and see, get out of our bubble. It was Princeton, it was the orange bubble, get out of the orange bubble and see reality and uh, even here at church. And so there's Princeton. That, but God got me at the next slide, and the next slide was in, in Philadelphia. Uh, now there's sections of Philadelphia that are absolutely fantastic and, and historic. Uh, we are in Kensington section in South Philly, and Austin's done some ministry down there as well. We started, uh, this is me with a bottle, and what they do before a youth group at night, they collect the needles and put them in the water bottle so no one gets poked on that. So uh, I was cleaning the alley with a, with a group, and we found these, uh, and the kids were like, oh, let's t no, let's don't touch them, we'll just keep them in the bottle and throw them away. But, so uh, from Princeton to Philadelphia, I'm working with needles, and there's a homeless guy, which I think is an entrepreneur, if you look what he's doing, seriously, he had like a whole cart and whole thing there, and working his way through uh, past our food distribution where we're at. So the, the environment has changed in Philadelphia. But we started this organization called Productive Life. It was an unexpected kind of thing. I thought, <coughs> excuse me, from Princeton and the salary I had and the people I was hanging around, can I do this? I always had a heart for it. I think the Lord was saying, Ch -ch 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 -ch, pay attention. <laughs> Go back to what you're good at. Go back to what the need is here. So we started this. And it's really a training organization motivating people to serve. We bring groups along to already existing ministries in Kensington. Somebody was talking about some ministry in Kensington. We work with Cornerstone Church, with the Rock Ministries, with South, uh, South Avenue Church down in Philly, and existing Esperanza Health Center. We work with the ministries that were not planting a church. There's churches already there. We come alongside them, and I'll tell you what, we're learning how to serve, and yet we're meeting the need of the neighborhood, what's going on. Uh, every Thursday and Saturday, we do food distribution. Uh, Tommy Kelly and Mary and Michael and others have been down there re remodeling the ministry center. We focus on four areas, uh, service projects, so we'll do addiction ministries, we'll do food distribution, housing, um, then student projects, we, uh, you helped us last time in VBS, Willard Elementary School, you gave us $5,000 through VBS, and we have provided 
uh, clothing for the kids. Uh, they, some of the boys ruined their pants just being boys, you know. Uh, so you've paid for that, also for underwear for the kids. We've done a, a teacher appreciation day for them. We do recess for them. When they come out, we do a recess program for them. Uh, when they get their attendance, if they stay, if they're there for 10 days, <laughs> they get a party, which is, is good. So uh, also, we're providing mentoring for them. So we've adopted uh, with, with you guys, Willard Elementary School, International Christian High School, and um, One Life Gap Year program. So we work with students. We also have study tours we're talking about and sponsorships for different children. But I'll tell you one story with the International Christian School. There's Tommy. Uh, Tommy Kelly, left-hand picture, he's praying. And uh, Tommy's not here, but he came, he, he came up to me and said, do you mind if I pray with this guy? I'm like, do it. <laughs> Go for it. So Tommy got out of his comfort zone, some unexpected things for him. Uh, there's the Hearst family helping us with food distribution. But ways you can uh, help us, more pictures, the next pictures. There's my wife. My wife's over there, not the guy with the, you know, the eagle shirt. Uh, she's hanging out with him. Again, uh, Stacy Patoka, uh, Fidel, and uh, uh, um, oh, just trying to remember, Trisha. Trisha's right there. These are two girls who are used to be in our youth groups, and they're bringing their families back, which is really cool. I got, I got these young people to me, young people, <laughs> coming back and helping us and working there. They came for the day, and uh, uh, Stacy and, and her kids came down and helped us there that way. And so it's kind of cool that all the stuff invested, uh, you think it's unexpected. And yet God knew exactly what was going to happen. So there we are, two years into the unexpected journey. And we've, uh, 1,500 people have been serving over 7,000 people. Uh, we have uh, uh, a block party coming. It's called Family Fund Day, October 1st. We do a carnival and we give the gospel. And there's water park and there's food. That's a great time. Some of you have come for that. October 1st, you come down to Kensington right after church from 3 to 6. Easy peasy. I would say level 1. We're in the schoolyard. Uh, most of them are families from the neighborhood. Very fun, uh, very purposeful, intentional to give them the gospel. Maybe that's unexpected for you. Maybe that's something that would get you out of your comfort zone. But I would, I would say families come down and, and do that for the day. The three stories I told you about, none of them were unexpected to God. None of these stories. The Good Samaritan, Samaritan's Woman, or my personal journey, or perhaps your personal journey, None of it was unexpected to God. Um, unexpected is not an adjective that we use to use to describe. Nothing is wasted. Everything is used. I really believe up until this age and in, in, in my ministry, God has prepared me for this moment. For the contacts that I have, the people that I know, the people that are coming down, God has provided. He's provided financially. Uh, this week I was praying. I was in Canada visiting my son, thinking, worried about finances for this. And this week, I think Friday or Thursday, someone from this church gave us money. Um, so I'm like, stop worrying. <laughs> Give it to God. Let him take care of the things of what you need to be done. It's not unexpected to God. Ephesians, Paul says this, be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is is God knows what's up, not unexpected to him, although it may be unexpected to us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the opportunity to do some unexpected things in our lives. Lord, help us to rise to the challenge of doing things that are uncomfortable. And I have to admit, Lord, it's not always easy, uh, but it's always, always rewarding. You show up. Thank you for doing that. 
I pray for those individuals here today that perhaps are doing some unexpected things in their life or some things in their life are not what they planned. I pray that they would understand that you're in charge, whatever that is, that they would submit to you, that they would perhaps not understand, but they would move forward. Lord, I even pray for Jacob. What an unexpected thing. He didn't go and do what he wanted to do in the Middle East. Um, um, but Lord, you expected this to happen. Um, so Lord, I pray that you would protect him. And as our group prayed, that we would pray for the captors, that they would hear Jesus Christ through Jacob. If that's the reason, then Lord, we pray that they would know Jesus Christ. And we pray also that you would protect him and he would take him out of this unexpected moment and make it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.